Welcome to the Generations Church podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. If you've got your Bibles, your devices this morning, in a moment, I'm going to be at 1 Kings chapter 16, starting a new series this morning on Elijah, prophet of fire, man of despair. Uh, so normally throughout the year, I like to do a biographical kind of series. I love studying people's lives. Now, I'm a biography person anyway. I love biographies. I've got them all in my library. I love to read about people's journeys, so it's kind of interesting to me. In a biographical series, you just take, you take the Bible and you just follow someone's life through that and you learn about it. It's a little bit different way to kind of preach and read and, and study. So in the past, we've taught, we've studied through the life of Joseph. We've studied through the life of David. Last year, we did Samson and we're going to do Elijah this time. We're going to work for the next season through the, the life of Elijah. So our theme kind of comes from James chapter 5. We've all heard this passage before. It says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We've all heard that, right? But then he goes, Elijah, which is our, he's using an example here to illustrate this point. Elijah was a human being even as we are. And when he prayed, the heavens, you know, when the, the heavens dried up. So just reminding us through this series that Elijah is a normal guy from a small town whom God choose to use in a, you know, in a great way, some awesome ways. But through those ways that God was using him, he dealt with loneliness, he dealt with persecution, he dealt with discouragement, even while God was using him. So we're going to look back at this kind of uh, kind of interplay between being used greatly of God, and then at the same time, God's still working working on our hearts. So, uh, so if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be there in just a moment. I don't know if you've ever read, you've been reading through the Bible and you start with Genesis, and you're doing good until you get to Leviticus. Anybody ever had the Leviticus kind of pause? All right. I'm probably never going to do a series on Leviticus. That's probably safe. Okay. There's value in it, but it's a tough read. And if you think it's a tough read, it's even worse to preach. Okay. But then you regroup, you get, you get going until you hit first kings. And then you're like, what in the world is going on? So I want to give you up. Because we're, we're going to introduce the character of Elijah, but I need to give you a quick history of First and Second Kings, and we're going to see how God sovereignly releases Elijah into uh, biblical history. So, all right, real quick history on First and Second Kings. All right, so for one hundred years, Israel was in existence. It had three kings. Three kings over 100 years. They had Saul, they had David, and they had Solomon. So as a monarchy, it was pretty, it was pretty stable, all right? And, and we know how God used these guys, but we also know their flaws as well. So uh, at the end of Solomon's reign, there was, you know, there was like uh, a civil war that broke out. 
and Israel broke into two countries like our country did when we have our when we had our civil war so Israel broke into two the northern part retained the name of Israel I think we have an image up here uh, that's the blue part if you can see it the southern part was called the kingdom of Judah all right so Jerusalem stayed with the southern part of Judah now Israel keep that up there Israel stayed in existence for uh, 200 years over that 200 years it had 19 kings 19 all of them were evil all of them not one godly one in the midst at the end of their biographies and kings it always says they did evil in the sight of God Judah had a little bit different you know a little bit different history uh, well, excuse me, Israel ended after 200 years. The Assyrians invaded, and Israel, as we knew it in biblical times, was over. Judah, the kingdom of Judah, the yellow, it existed for 300 years, and it had 17 kings. Eight of them were good. They were godly. Asa, Josiah, man, there were some good ones out there that you can read and see how God used them. But they also, they also had nine evil kings okay so that's that's why you know uh, and and at the end of Judah after 300 years the Babylonians came and took them into you know took them into captivity and um, so that's why when you read first Kings sometimes if you don't know that first Kings is simply a, a spiritual history book of two nations because you'll be reading through First Kings, and sometimes they're talking about Israel and their king. Sometimes they're talking about Judah and their king, and it's back and forth as you're working chronologically. So you can read sometimes, and you're going, what's going on? But now you understand the key, right? How many of you are starting First Kings in the morning? Not one of you. Oh, my goodness. You'll get, you'll get there eventually. So as we go through the history of the... 19 bad kings of Israel we're going to fast forward to king number six king number six was Omri okay so first Kings chapter uh, 16 and verse 25 I'm gonna bring you up to the point where Elijah is inserted into biblical history but you gotta catch the moment that he's inserted here so we're the sixth out of 19 kings of Israel all right First Kings 16, 25. But Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord and sinned more than all of those before him. <clears throat> he followed completely the ways of Jeroboam, the first king of Israel, committing the same sin Jeroboam had caused Israel to commit so that they aroused the anger of the Lord and the God of Israel by their worthless idols. So, wow. He's, he's more evil than all the kings before. All right, the, the previous five. I mean, he's, he's spiraling, spiraling down in evil. And, and, he, and he continued the, the, the sin of Jeroboam, which was simply this Jeroboam started the calf the golden calf worship. So he'd make these idols and he would put them all over Israel. And you respected, expected to worship this golden calf. And they would build different temples around kind of a church kind of system. And he would put priests in those temples kind of kind of like a church system. They would have that golden calf. And man, that's what he did. That's what Jeroboam did. And it says Omri was even more 
evil. Look at verse 27. As for the other events of Omri's reign, what he did and the things he achieved, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel? Omri rested with his ancestors and was buried in Samaria. And Ahab, his son, succeeded him as king. Verse 29. Here's where it gets a little confusing reading Kings, but now you understand the key of this. Look at this. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah. Would you put my graphic back up there, please? There you go. All right. So they're, they're tying these things together historically. And as long as you get it, you got the key to first Kings. So look at this. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, king of the, you know, at the bottom, Ahab, the son of Omri, becomes the king of Israel. All right. So they are contemporaries. They are in, they are in office together. All right. You can go back to the passage. Verse 30. Uh, and he reigned, Ahab reigned over Israel 22 years. Now look at this. Ahab, the son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, the, word, the king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. All right? So what, what, let's go back and work through some of this passage, and then we're going to see Elijah make his appearance. So verse 30 says, Omri did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. At the bottom of the verse it said, He did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than all of the kings before him. So you had Omri who was more wicked than any king that Israel had ever had. And then Ahab thought, you think that's bad, you just watch how bad I can be. He said he thought it was trivial. About, about the evil. And so he brought in, you know, he brought in Baal worship. He was more evil than even his father. It was almost like this unusual kind of competition for evil. And as you read through the kings of 1 Kings, you just see this decline, this descending into evil. So I asked this question this morning. What family heritage did I inherit? What family heritage did I inherit? Some of you, man, you got, man, you look back, you see a godly heritage, and you're, you're thankful for that. Some of you, you look back over your heritage, man, it's kind of like the king's. I mean, you just see, man, generation after generation after generation that's kind of, you know, just kind of evil. There's no spiritual line or spiritual lineage in it at all. You just look back and go, man, what's, you know, what's going on in my, in my life and in my, in my family? What kind of, what family heritage did, did, I, did, did you inherit? Can I just, I'll just tell you real quickly about mine. 1918, Robert Hicks, just a poor, you know, worker, kind of carpenter. 1918, never been to church, never, never had, uh, you know, been raised in church, family wasn't in church. 
But for whatever reason, in 1918, he decided, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to serve Jesus. Went down to the local church, little church, 25, 30 people. Gave his heart to Jesus on a Sunday morning. And I want to tell you, it wasn't one of those where you say a little prayer and then you go back to your old life. This was one of those, man, where you were on your face. And when you leave, you know that you've been changed. The next Sunday, he and my great-grandmother, there in church. All of my... My, all, all of their children are in church, and man, he, he made a turn. Decided, man, my, I'm going to serve God. I'm going I'm to serve God. And it wasn't long after that, maybe a couple years, that God just began to, to, to uh, deal with his heart. And God called him to preach. In about 1923, God called him to preach, and he had no education. There was not really Bible college or whatever. He just, when God called him to preach, he just decided to preach, and he started preaching. And God laid on his heart church planting. Plant some churches. Plant some churches. So my great-grandfather he would, he would go around to these little coal mining communities outside of Birmingham, Alabama, and they would buy homes. They would buy these little, they would buy these little houses, and they would go, all right, we're starting a church. And the porch became the stage. And every Sunday, they would take the old upright piano, they would push it out on the porch, they would take a little stand, they would take whatever little chairs that they had and, and ask people to come. And I want you to know, my grandfather started about five churches in Birmingham, no education, just to call a God upon his life. 1931, he was ordained into the Assemblies of God. I keep this in my office. I have a little desk. And this is his ordination certificate from, from 19, uh, what is that, Ni 1936, excuse me. He didn't even have the money to go buy a, buy a frame. So he went to his workshop and he built, he, built this little, he built this little frame. And I keep this in my office to remind me of my spiritual heritage, but also my ministerial heritage as well, all of his kids got in church. Serve God. God saved. Serve God. All of them. You know, my, my, he had a son named Herschel. Herschel, he, he, he strayed from God. But about 30 years of age, man, he got saved. Man, he got his family in church. He started serving God. He was on the deacon board. He, he served God. And then all of a sudden, God called him to preach. And he started preaching, got his credentials, never had a chance to go to Bible college, but just started preaching and following the, following the gospel. And he pastored one church for 27 years, all right, in his home. All of his kids going to church, all of them serving God, all of them not strangers to the, to the church world. He had a daughter whose name was Helen, who was... Raised up in the church, played the piano when she was like eight. She didn't have a choice. There wasn't a piano player. So she played. And she gave birth, and the heavens smiled when she gave birth to me. <laughs> this morning, all of my brothers and sisters are serving God, all of them are in church. My brother's a deacon at his church. 
I tell him, did they just run out of, of, of available applicants? I mean, what are you doing as a deacon? He said, well, could Generation Church not find a pastor anywhere? But all of them are serving God. All of them are in church. All my nieces and nephews. You've met some of my family. Chris Hicks, you remember Chris that came and would lead worship. Part of my family. My nephew, Tanner, that came to serve this summer came. You know, you, you, you've met him. My, my kids are in church. They may be cantankerous sometimes, but they're serving God. They're, they're in church. Can I just say, and I'm thankful, for my, I'm thankful for my heritage here this morning. Some of you have the same kind of heritage. You look back, and man, at some point there was somebody back in your, in your, in your history that said, you know what? From here on out, we're going to serve God. And this morning, we got five generations that are in church. Many of them are in heaven this morning because one man in 1918 said, This stops here. We're going to serve the living God. Look at your family line. You may look and just see wickedness after wickedness. Well, I want to tell you, today can be your day that you can make a decision that not only affects you, but your family heritage, you know, from, from here on out. Today's the day that you can say, man, I'm turning from evil. I'm going to turn to the living God. Jesus said, I have not come to hang out with a bunch of righteous folks, but I've come to those who need to hear the message to turn to God. And this morning, I want to tell you, I don't care what your, what's in your DNA. I don't care what your family tree looks like this morning if you want to make a turn and serve the living God then he'll do that this morning you can change your family tree forever today this is my granddaddy's preaching Bible 1950s this is all of the sermons that he had I opened it up this morning. I found a sermon where he was preaching on Ahab and Elijah. That was a weird moment. All right. So what your, your family heritage, I want to say your spiritual future is not tied to, what your, to your past. You may go, this is just what my family is, and I'm just going, no, then you don't know the grace of God. You don't know the capacity of the Lord to change your life, and not only your life, but your children and your grandchildren, some of you have never met. Today's the day that you can turn and you can start a completely different chapter in your family tree, one that's filled with a godly heritage where people go to church and they serve God and they live for God you can start that chapter in your family history today you can do that verse 31 he not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam but he also married Jezebel the daughter of Ethbaal the king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. So it wasn't that Jezebel was a foreigner that was a problem. Man, but she had a whole different uh, religious system, you know, religious background and values. And can I just say to you this morning, just, just for a moment, if you're single, you know, you're a young adult, I know, 
I know that sometimes we think when we fall in love, that's all that we're looking for when it comes to marriage. But I'm just telling you, there is something that is more important than that, and that is consistent spiritual values. You see, what love is wonderful, but man, when you but but when the when you when you enter a relationship, a marriage relationship, and the spiritual foundation's already cracking by the time that you said I do, just because you you bring different things to the plate. That's why the Bible says, man, don't be unequally yoked. That doesn't mean that we think that we're better than anyone else or that God loves us in any greater way. He's just saying. Believe God and wait for the one where you will have the same kind of love for Jesus, same kind of values. Man, it's on Sunday. You go to church. You worship God together. You're involved with church. What a wonderful way to live your life. She brought in a whole different religious system there. And, I mean, it was called Baal worship. What is, what is Baal worship? All right, It's an evil, evil Form of worship. I'll talk to you about the, the the theology in just a moment. But man, ultimately, man, you were you were required to sacrifice your firstborn male in fire. I mean, it's evil. It's horrendous. You know, and this is where this is where they were headed. And this wasn't just a casual a casual uh, part of Baal worship. Put that last passage on the the the, the uh, on, on the screen there. That last scripture. But look at his name. Look at her, Jezebel, the daughter. Even her father named himself after. He's called him F. Baal. Man, this wasn't a casual kind of relationship that they had. Man, they were sold out when it came to when it came to Baal worship. And Baal worship had, you know, several different points of theology. What is Baal worship? Baal worship was the universal god of fertility. So anytime you had a baby, man, you just felt like, you know, uh, God had smiled on you. And also, he was called the Lord of the dew and the rain. So they believed every morning when there was dew and every morning when there was rain, this was a sign of God's favor. Remember that sentence. Look at verse, um, let's, let's just, let's go to chapter 17. Now, Elijah... The Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead. Here's, here's where Elijah comes in the story. He says, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. All right? So, who's Elijah? We have no, you know, there's no biographical information at all. He's from a very small town. So let's just say he's from a town like Chipley, okay? Can we just say that? Tishbe, Chipley, he's kind of he's kind of rugged. Doesn't have like any personal polish to him. He's kind of kind of kind of gruff. If you owned a business, he would not be customer facing. He's not that kind of person, you know, that you would you would have him kind of kind of uh, greeting customers. He doesn't have a lot of uh, diplomatic skill. He doesn't know the etiquette or the decorum of when you face the king. He, you don't, he, he doesn't really know that. He doesn't come with a prepared statement at all. No opening, you know, no opening prayer, you know, no, no opening statement. You know, uh, he just stands before Ahab the king 
and he says, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now he says that to the Baal-worshipping king. The God of Israel lives and I am his servant. Very few words, wasn't spoken eloquently, but yet Ahab knew exactly where he stood and who he represented. Can I say to you this morning that God is looking for those he can use in tough places and difficult situations. God's looking for those. Now, I appreciate every time in your connect group where you speak up and you share a part of your faith journey. I appreciate that. You know, in the church, you know, church confines and amidst a lot of, you know, a lot of other believers, I appreciate that. I appreciate when you stand up for God, when you're talking to your neighbors or, or man, your, your Bible study. I, I, I appreciate any... Anything that you say for the Lord that brings encouragement. But I want to tell you, God is looking for those that He can use in tough places and difficult situations. He walks in and He says to, to Ahab, Man, the, the God of Israel lives and I serve, you know, I serve Him. He just lets Him know, you know, up, up front who He is and what He represents. But remember, remember the situation that He's walking into. Because you have this spiraling evil over the generations and God is looking for anyone. He does not want to bring punishment, but He wants repentance. And He, 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 he raises this guy up to say this, uh, to give this word from the Lord in the midst of the greatest evil at this period of time that the world had ever known. It was evil and it was getting worse and God raised up this prophet to give this word right in the midst of that. I want to tell you. See, one day you're just in the shadows. You know, you're in the shadows. There's no spotlight, but you're praying the prayer, God, use me. God, use me. I'll go anywhere. I'll say anything. You open the door and I, I will be your mouthpiece. And you say that in the private of your, your, your prayer closet at home. And then one day, without, you don't even know that it's coming. The spotlight comes on you and God says, this is the moment that I have chosen to use you. Alright? He's looking for difficult you know, places and tough situations for people to speak into. I was a junior at the University of North Alabama. I was taking a, I was taking a history class, world history. And I go, I sit on the, in the back, which I, I did. I'm there for class, <clears throat> history class. The professor comes in. He erases what he's got on the board. And he writes the word Christianity slash Pentecostal slash charismatic. Underline, exclamation point, exclamation point. He says, we're not talking about world history today. This is what we're talking about. Well, let me tell you. I wasn't sure exactly what was going to happen in this class. But I just felt like in some way it was going to involve me. 
When he said that, I just started to sweat. And man, he started on this rant, this anti-faith rant, anti-Christian rant, talking about Pentecostalism and charismatics. And man, people from the class just started jumping in and they were just making fun and they were saying the most horrible things. And I'm just keeping my mouth shut, but I'm like, oh Lord, I mean... uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what what's going to happen here, but you know, I just I just knew it. at some point I'm involved with that. I was hoping that this would be an opportunity for God to raise someone else up in this moment, and for me to come behind them and pray for them and encourage them. But no one else stood up, and man, they were just making fun and they were laughing and they were talking about the Bible and making fun of Jesus and and all of that. And man, that went on for about 15 minutes. I'm not even sure, you know, what what's going on, what to say. I just I just came to a point where I'm like, you know what? I've had it. I've had it. And and I just raised my hand and I said, you may want to hear what I'm gonna say because I'm a Christian, I am ordained pastor with the Assemblies of God, and I come from a Pentecostal spirit-filled background, and I have something to say to you today. And I just want you to know that I've heard your critiques and your criticisms, and I feel like you are stereotyping, really, you are talking about things that you really don't know or understand about religious faith. And yes, there is hypocrisy in the church, but for everyone that is a hypocrite, there is 99 that serve God and that they are faithful. And you can talk about money in the church, but I just want you to know that today there's over 2,000 people living in some of the most impoverished areas of the world that are called missionaries because they love people and it's not for profit and it's not for gain and then man when I got through the attack started it was like 20 to 1 they are firing questions at me they are clapping for each other the professor's jumping in I'm trying it's just like softball practice I'm trying to hit what I can hit make a stand with what I can stand I spoke what I knew and if I didn't know it I made it up with confidence can I tell you I mean, it was, it was one of the most vicious settings that I'd ever... It was the most vicious setting that I'd ever been in. People laughing, making fun of what you believe, making fun of you personally because you choose to, you know, live your life a certain way. And at the end of the class, they dismissed the class. People sneered, laughed, you know, whatever. I mean, this went on for, you know, about 20 minutes. And I mean, I, I had no, no preparation, no warning, not sure what was going on. And it was over. And, man, I, I'm getting my books. I'm, you know, I'm just trying to get, my, get myself together. And, a, you know, a young lady, she comes up to me. And she said, I, I just want to tell you, I want to say thanks to you. I know that was really difficult what you did. She said nobody else was standing up. She said, I'm, I'm a Catholic. She said, but I've, since I've gotten to school, I've kind of strayed in my walk with God and my, my faith. And I just want you to know, like your defense today, I, I appreciate uh, what you said. And I'm going, really? Because that was terrible. I mean, it was absolutely terrible. And, and she said, would it be possible for me to come by and see you sometime? And do you know, the next week she came over at the church and I was able to sit down and talk with her and pray with her about her walk with Jesus. So can I just tell you something? All of the easy places are taken. All of the easy formats, they've all got spokespeople. 
God's looking for some people who will just take a little risk sometimes and, and have a little bravery and, and he'll put you in a tough situation because he needs you to be in a tough situation. People aren't volunteering for those. They want to play it safe. But he needs people who will, who will speak, you know, in those, in those certain areas. God is not looking for us to be fearless but brave. He's not looking for us to be fearless. So you can't go, man, I got fear. Because everybody's got fear. When I stood up, man, my, my heart was racing. I'm sweating. I mean, that's just part. You know, it's just, it's just part of that. So he's not looking for us to be fearless in these moments. He's looking for us to push through fear and be brave and let God use us in difficult situations. God is not looking for us to be perfect but willing. I did not give the presentation that when I get to heaven, they'll go, oh, that's the guy that gave that presentation. You see, some people, they don't want to be used in difficult situations because they go, I don't know enough about the Bible. I'm not a public speaker. They come up with every, you know, every excuse that they can not to let God use them in a difficult situation. But can I just remind you, and I've given this to you before, an imperfect witness is better than nothing at all. An imperfect witness is better than nothing at all. Man, I look back, I was driving home from school that day going, that's the dumbest thing. Why did you say that? You should have said that. So it's never perfect. But what you'll do, God will use. So I don't know enough about the Bible. I'm not a public speaker. It doesn't matter. When the door opens and the spotlight comes on, trust the fact that the Holy Spirit will give you the right words. He'll anoint those words as imperfectly as they are distributed. It will fall in the soil of somebody's heart and be a blessing. God is not looking for us to be fearless but brave, to be perfect but willing, to be rude but always stand for Him. We're not, we're not out to be rude. We're not out to be rude. But there just comes a point, can I just say, there just comes a point when, when truth is trampled on that you just can't be silent anymore. When it, when it comes to things that you believe in, spiritual values, the cross of Jesus, uh, the, the shed blood of Jesus and people just keep trampling on that. There just comes a point where, where you cast aside any kind of concerns and you speak up for truth as imperfectly as you can. We're never rude. We don't call names. We're not pointing fingers. But we are making a representation for God, for the glory of God. As the Lord God of Israel lives, whom I serve... There will never, neither be dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Remember the definition I gave you of Baal worship that said that he was the God over the dew and the rain? This is not a casual word that Ahab is speaking here. He is thrusting a, a knife in the heart of of Baal worship, the God of Israel lives in whom I serve and there will not be dew nor rain upon this earth until I say so. He is, he is stripping aside and challenging every tenet of Baal worship with that statement. Verse 2, 
Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the book, brook. I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord told him. He went to Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan and he stayed there. Ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and he drank from the brook. Now look, listen to me. This is going to kind of be a theme that we'll see every week to this series. God is using him, but God is also working on him at the same time. God is using him, but there are ways that God is preparing him at the same time. So as soon as he gets through with Ahab, he goes to hide. You know, we, we would like the applause, right? If we did a big stand like that, we would like to at least a pat on the back. He said, no, you go, you go and hide. God was protecting him, but God was also preparing him because God uses us, but he's working on us at the same time. Now, this might be a little... This might be a little, you know, confusing sometimes because we want to get to the stage where he doesn't have to work on us anymore, that he can only use us. But I'm telling you, over the course of your life, he's working on both things. And here's a simple lesson. Trust him and obey him. Now go away, and I want you to go by the brook. And every morning, I'm going to bring you food. All right? Probably not what he had in mind. Probably not what he had in mind. And Raven's going to bring you bread, and you're going to drink from the brook. And one of the first lessons Ahab has to learn is trust him and obey him. Trust him and obey him. Because God is preparing him because there's other things that we're going to see in the life of Elijah that are really important. But he's got to learn these lessons now. God has other things in store for him like teaching him to trust. What? Just sit there and drink water from the brook and, and, and have ravens come? Just trust me. It's the word of the Lord. Just trust me. Learn the lesson. Trust him and obey him. We get little itchy hands. We want to help God out. Can I remind you this morning, he's the God of all creation. And he doesn't need your help to bail you out and to provide for you. He doesn't need that. He's teaching teaching him teaching Elijah to trust him. He's teaching him faith. He's teaching him patience. You know, if God said, hey, I want to teach you about trust, faith, and patience, we would just be depressed, wouldn't we? Oh, my gosh. That's never a happy ending, is it? He's teaching him that sometimes divine source and supplies come from God. Some of you need to remember that. You're trusting in your job. You're trusting in economy. Can I just remind you this morning that divine source and divine supplies, they come from the hand and the word of God. Don't look in other places. God is your source of provision. He's teaching him tough existence, living by the brook. He didn't send him to the Hilton because he had been used greatly in the previous days. That's what we think. 
If I'm used greatly, then there should be a great reward. Right? No. Because he's using him, but at the same time, he's training him and he's preparing him for some other things that he's got in the future. And part of that is he's walking through a tough season. A tough season. When you just got to make it with grit and determination. There's no applause. Where's the prayer team? Where's the worship team? Where's the church? Where's the believers? He's on his own, living by a brook, hiding out. Probably, probably, you know, his life is being threatened. God's, God's supplying him. He's teaching him that God is still God even when times are tough. Some of you think because it's tough then somehow God's hand has been removed. But I'm just telling you, God is doing a work in you to kind of to, to build some, some perseverance and some spiritual toughness in your life. You can't minister in difficult circumstances, in tough places, unless you're tough yourself. Verse 7. Worship team, you can come. Sometime later, the brook dried up. Because there had been no rain in the land. So he's by this brook. Ravens are coming. And then all of a sudden, the brook dries up. The brook dries up. Well, he had to know this was coming at some time. Because he had already said there's going to be a drought. And it's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. So the brook dries up. Listen to me. Do you ever have in your life two conflicting words of the Lord? All right. He prophesied, it's not going to rain. And then the Lord said, go stay by the brook. And now he's got, he's got two conflicting words here. What's, what's going on? What's happening? Can I just tell you? Sometimes that brook dries up for several different reasons, okay? One, you've learned what you're supposed to have learned, and God has a new opportunity for you. You've graduated. Whew, that feels good to graduate. Have you ever failed a grade in God and you have to go back through that again? That's terrible. So sometimes he's given you this test and you've passed it and he's got something else for you with what you've learned. Can I remind you in the next several verses we're going to read about Elijah and the widow at Zarephath where faith and trust and God's provision, what he learned there, he's about to see again. But he's not sweating it out because he's already walked through that. So sometimes it's You've learned what you need to learn, and he's got some other place. Sometimes God's doing a new season. God's doing a new thing. That brook dries up. Some people don't want to move. They want to make a museum to the brook. All right? This is, this is where this has happened. And they'll, they'll live dead for years in the shadow of a miracle that God has done in the past. When God's going, get up, I got something else in store for you. If you think that was good, you need to see what the next chapter is. 
sit around the brook crying, praying, God, bring a miracle in this brook. I know you're God. Yes, I am. And I'm going to provide to you in a different way. The brook's dried. Get up and go. The brook dries up. It does not necessarily mean that you did anything wrong and that God has not lived up to a promise. Got it? What have I done? God, what's going on? But it does mean that it's time for a different season, a different direction, a different source. God is going to do something in your life. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Christian writer John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress. Not Paul Bunyan the giant. Let me just say that. (laughs) Felt like I need to clarify that for some of you. John Bunyan. He's a preacher in the 1600s. Loves God. The Church of England said, unless you're going to preach in the Church of England, you stop having services. And he said, no. No. I'm not going to do it. It's not what God's spoken to me. I've got a different message. I've had a different experience. I'm going to, I'm going to preach. I'm going to preach the gospel. They put him in jail for 12 years. See, let me just say, when God puts you in difficult situations and tough circumstances, it doesn't mean you're going to do your thing and there's going to be the applause of many. Sometimes there's persecution that comes from your obedience. Okay? It's not always the story that we would like. Twelve years he's in jail. Twelve years he's in jail. But while he's in jail, he starts writing. And he writes the book called Pilgrim's Progress, which is, was the first kind of novel, you know, like Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. It was the first thing like that that had ever been written about the religious faith, people coming to Christ, you know, spiritual attack. He in jail, in jail, he writes Pilgrim's Progress. Man, and I want to tell you, it's been such a blessing to the people of God. It has never been out of print since the 1600s. It's been such an encouragement to people. But in a low point when he stood for God, when he stood for God, one brook dried up, but God said, I got something else, another way that I'm going to use you. And then many people, many people have been blessed because of that, because of that work. I want to just say, just closing, uh, just closing this morning, worship team's going to come. Maybe, maybe you're here today and it's time for you to make a turn in your life, for you, not just for you, but your family. It's time. Today's today's the day. Today's the day that you can turn from wickedness and you can turn to God. You can leave leave that behind. Man, you can start writing a new chapter for for your life and your family and your faith. You can you can do that today. Maybe you're walking through a season, man, that you you need to trust and obey, but man, you're a little shaky, a little a little nervous. The Lord's going to trust me. I need you to trust me. Take your hand off. Take your hand off. Take your hand off. I got it. I got it. I got it. Maybe you're walking through that season today. Maybe you're walking through a season where 
man, you got a couple of conflicting words going on here, and you're trying to figure out what's happening. A brook's dried up, drying up, and you're not sure what the next season of you looks like. You're not sure. But I just want to tell you, God's already got that scripted. God's God knows that when something dries up, when there's a door that closes, God has the next the next step, the next door available for you. Would you stand this morning, Brent, come and lead us in a song of worship today. Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.